Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. It's David Cox. And I'm Josh Matheson. That wasn't very murder mystery, that sound, was it? That was more like... It's Animal Farm. <laughs> yeah, well, not even Animal not Farm. I was thinking Wiley kind of Coyote or something like that, like a bit of Looney Tony, wasn't it? Yeah, I got a bit of energy. Yeah, it's he's just come back just from teaching. Up. I'm amazed you, you're standing. If I was teaching four-year-olds, I'd be like checking <laughs> out for the night. Well, this week we are looking at chapter three of the mysterious affair at Styles. Yeah, we are. Hopefully, Style. hopefully we get a murder this week, boys, because last week it went all the way through and all the, nothing all the, really uh, happened. All the suggestions that it was going to happen. It's like, I'm going to say I'm going to record it as best I can. And they went to the shop. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there were lots of threads that were begun. Yeah. And, I think- and, are, and are poised for unraveling yeah. later. Yeah, it seems like raised. that's exactly what I was about to say. It seems like Agatha Christie's just trying to build suspicion in as many characters as possible so that when this event happens, there's a few people who you go, it could be them, it could be them, it could be them, rather than just all fingers pointing towards one very obvious person. <laughs> you do need the reader to be like thinking like they're on it because if, if there's yeah. no idea at the start then yeah because you want you want the readers to think they're clever <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a way thinking like, oh, i'm convinced and that and then it's even more satisfying when it's like oh my goodness i've never thought of that yeah so i guess no, we do true. need the information i know we're sort of like millennials going like i want the murder right now <laughs> <laughs> it's been five <laughs> minutes yeah it's that's what <laughs> it should have been murdered and but... solved by now yeah <laughs> Well, last week there were a couple of events. I am kind of like overplaying the boredom, really. We had an argument between Mr. and Mrs. Inglethorpe, which was the talk of the manor. It was. We're still not quite sure what it was about, but then they were kind of being quite amicable later on at dinner, and Alfred brought her coffee in her boudoir as well. So he's trying to play the doting husband, or is there a sinister plot going? Who knows? Then we had Hastings and Cynthia and Lawrence all hanging out at the dispensary and Lawrence disappeared for a bit to have a look in the poison cupboard, as you do. And then Poirot turned up in the village as well. Um, Hastings ran into him. He happens to be a refugee living with seven other men in a house. (laughs) Very glamorous. (laughs) Seven all night raves. Yeah, exactly. Living the bachelor lifestyle in a frat house in the middle of Essex. When you say popped out, I just imagine it. I just imagine you like appeared from like behind a bush or a bin or something. It's like, oh, yeah, just a a little egg popping out from behind a bush. Yeah. Oh, the egg-shaped thing got me. It was like, yeah. it was like, oh, and then it was quite obviously it has to be one way. Otherwise, it's very strange. It pretty much ended with what was his name again? The German doctor again? Bowerstein. Uh, Bowerstein. Bowerstein. Bowerstein turned up. Uh, German, no, he's vaguely European. He's not German. We no, just went, we just did a tour. It is a tour of Northern Europe, didn't we? Yeah. Like <laughs> I quite Generic like it. Europe. I don't like, know. Like, people do like people do have like there are. I, I quite like it when I meet someone. I'm like, I like not knowing, having girls like, where are you from? You're either like, because sometimes I think you're American, then I think you're Canadian. And then it's, I don't know, I like it when I don't know where people are from. I'm like, ooh, mm. 
So Bowerstein then turned up at the end of the chapter, covered in mud. He said he was looking for exotic ferns in Essex and found a rare fern and fell in a pond. He went to ferns for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Alfred and Dr. Bernstein then walked to town. Bowerstein. Bowerstein, sorry. (laughs) And then they wrote an amazing musical. (laughs) <laughs> then then Alfred and Dr. Bernstein walked to town. You just said it again. <laughs> Did I? What's his name? Bowerstein. It's just a running theme. <laughs> Matt, can you just get it wrong every time, but get slightly like less like his name every time until you end up with like, not Do- him. Dr. Bernstein. Dr. Bernstein. Mr. Banana Sheen. He went to the firm shop. Okay. Third time lucky. Okay. So, the end of the chapter, Dr. Bowerstein, oh. Alfred, went into town. Alfred said he had to meet an estate agent or some estate person in town. And they left. And Mrs. Inglethorpe, much to the note of Hastings, was holding her coffee, undrunk, ready to go to bed. Yes, it seemed very important that she had yet to have a sip. She had not taken a sip of the coffee yet, apparently. So... That's where we left off. So I'm hoping that tonight's the night that something happens. So should we dive in? Yeah. Chapter three. The night of the tragedy. <gasps> Yay! I mean... Imagine <laughs> if it doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. Like, but, can, can I just say... Quick... It was eight o'clock in the morning. You're like... Uh, can I just uh, say... <laughs> quickest interruption yet on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I had it a chapter title. The first <laughs> word in the chapter. But I, lo- I, I almost knew it was going to happen. Knowing Hastings, though, the tragedy is going to be the fact that Mrs. Cavendish has like pushed him to the side and declared her love for Bowerstein <laughs> or something like that. That's probably what it's about. Or he goes for a kiss and she rejects him, and that's exactly that. Exactly, yeah. he's been rebuffed, and that's yeah. that's the tragedy. Or they or they go and see uh, like what a tableau of uh, Romeo and Juliet or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was like that we were discussing how like, oh god is that is that what they do for fun? Jeez, yeah, it's Cynthia's acting troupe. That was a tragedy. <laughs> that is a tragedy. To be fair, yeah. to make this part of my story clear. I append the following plan of the first floor of Styles. The servants' rooms are reached through door B. They have no communication with the right wing where the Inglethorpe's rooms are situated. And at this point, there is actually a very Cluedo-esque drawing of some rooms. So those are the two wings. You've got the staircase in the middle, and then you've got, yeah, the left wing, which is where... Uh, Mr. Hastings is staying and then the right wing where Alfred's room I love that they've got separate bedrooms Cynthia Murdoch's room oh Cynthia's actually living there oh okay I thought she was just yeah, visiting she was like and helping a, she's out like a ward spare yeah. room spare room yeah. bathrooms Mr what does that say Mr. Room yeah that does say Mr. Room guy called Mr. Room that lives there <laughs> <laughs> I'll change no, your room no it says Pardon? my room because oh. <laughs> that looks this, like Mr. Room, to be fair. Mr. Room. <laughs> Could you imagine? Mr. Room in the Mr. Room with the room. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he's going to kill him. Look, Mr. Room in Mr. Room with the broom. <laughs> <laughs> with whom? With oh, whom? dear. 
<laughs> uh, back to the story. It seemed to be the middle of the night when I was awakened by Lawrence Cavendish. He had a candle in his hand, and the agitation of his face told me at once that something was seriously wrong. What's the matter? I asked, sitting up in bed and trying to collect my scattered thoughts. And then Lawrence speaks for the first time in the book. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's not said anything yet. He's the his only one who hasn't yeah. spoken yet. So his brother's Essex, his stepmom's a warbler. He's a doctor who wants to be an author. So is there some kind of like doctory kind of sounding voice? He's a bit weird as well, though. I feel like he's a bit creepy. So I feel like, like, can we give him something quite nerdy and kind of geeky and a little bit like you're not quite right? In the... David, you look so perplexed. At the moment. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm honestly. Do you remember that doctor from Green Wing? The one with the little, like, Oh, pipe? and and he, and, and, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> No, no, you cannot. Yeah, it's it's almost like the guy has a mosquito buzzing in his brain the entire time, and he's trying These to concentrate on what he's saying. Yeah, that is actually that is an actual masterpiece. Actually, when you think about it, that that, yeah. that performance is so underrated. He's typecast as basically looking like the guy who you would not want to meet in a park at night. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a flasher. He does. He uh, does look like a flasher. His I want to say his name's Mark Heap. That's what I'm going to say. Yes, I think it is. I think that's. I mean, just to like you know, asterisk this for legal reasons. I am not saying that this actor is (laughs) (laughs) in any way a lazy lazy libel podcast. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I I I must insist that all of these allegations are not actually correct. (laughs) (laughs) But he's very good at playing creepy. He's very good at playing creepy. Well, well done, Mark Keep. For oh, yeah, making gonna... a living out of being a creep. Oh, there you go. That rhymes. <laughs> Marky. <laughs> Marky the creep. Marky could never sleep making a living out of playing a creep. <laughs> Not a bit. Well, there we go. Let's see if we can Mark keep our way into Lawrence Cavendish. <laughs> keep up. Here we go. <laughs> heap up. <laughs> uh, we are afraid my, my mother is, is very, very ill. Uh, she seems to be having some kind of uh, fit. Unfortunately, she she has locked herself in. But I'll come at once. I sprang out of bed and, pulling on a dressing gown, followed Lawrence along the passage and the gallery of the right wing of the house. John Cavendish joined us, and one or two of the servants were standing round in a state of awe-stricken excitement. Lawrence turned to his brother. Uh, What do you think we had better do? Never, I thought, had his indecision of character been more apparent. John rattled the handle of Mrs. Inglethorpe's door violently, but with no effect. It was obviously locked or bolted on the inside. The whole household was aroused by now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's changed its meaning. <laughs> I love the uh, idea of the, that line with the whole household walking around in their dressing gowns as well in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's two words that have just really not, not that have been changed, which are aroused and erect. Yes, yes those are two. Yeah, I've also would... noticed. I've also noticed that Christy uses the word excitement in a very different way. She's used it like three or four times now. And excitement just means kind of like, uh, I don't know, like 
over it over it yeah. yeah not not like a panic happy thing. yeah, yeah. Weird. Uh, the other thing as well is just the fact that Lawrence is meant to be a doctor yet in this situation of emergency yeah. seems to be the biggest panic stress head out of everybody literally trained as a doctor yeah it shows you that he probably wasn't very good at it could you imagine him on the ward in ER like and someone's come in after a car crash or something and he wouldn't be able oh, to handle like it, blood. would he? Oh, yeah. uh, oh, I, can't, I can't deal with blood. Too like I mean, blood. all he's been affronted by right now is a locked door. And he's like yeah. panicking. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even know what's on the other side of it yet. And he's already lost it. The most alarming sounds were audible from the interior of the room. Oh. Clearly something must be done. Oh, oh I, I just remembered it. Sorry. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Is this the accent? <laughs> you lost it. I just, I, I've got it. It's just, I'm just thinking about doing it, and it's quite funny. I was just thinking about last episode. Anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> just imagine a situation of panic. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> oh, Dorcas. Yes. Okay. Yes, let, me, let me get the line out though. <laughs> the voice of reason. <laughs> oh, um, try, um, try, 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 try going through Mr. Inglethorpe's room, sir. Cried Dorcas. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, oh, the, the poor, the poor mistress. Suddenly, I realised that Alfred Inglethorpe was not with us; that he alone had given no sign of his presence. John opened the door of his room. It was pitch dark, but Lawrence was following with the candle, and by its feeble light we saw that the bed had not been slept in, and that there was no sign of the room having been occupied. He did say he was going into town and taking the latch key, and that uh, people shouldn't wake, shouldn't wait up for him. This is very true. So he's it's go... like he's got an innocent, yeah, la- an innocent alibi in a sense. Something about tenancy or land or something. Yeah, he's going to see the real estate person, but he did say, I'm going to take the latch key with me, so don't Don't wait wait up. up. Giving him a perfectly valid alibi. We went straight to the connecting door. That, too, was locked or bolted on the inside. What was to be done? Oh, 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 dear, sir, cried Dorcas, wringing her hands. What, whatever shall we do? We must try and break the door in, I suppose. It'll be a tough job, though. Here, let one of the maids go down and wake Bailey and tell him to go for Dr. Wilkins at once. Now then, we'll have, we'll have a try at the door. Half a moment, though. Isn't there a door into Miss Cynthia's rooms? Um, yeah, yes, yes, sir, but that's always bolted. It's never been undone. Well, we might just see... He ran rapidly down the corridor to Cynthia's room. Mary Cavendish was there, shaking the girl, who must have been an unusually sound sleeper, and trying to wake her. In a moment or two, he was back. No good, that's bolted too. We must break in the door. I think this one is a shade less solid than the one in the passage. We strained and heaved together. The framework of the door was solid, and for a long time it resisted our efforts. But at last we felt it give beneath our weight, and finally, 
with a resounding crash, it was burst open. We stumbled in together, Lawrence still holding his candle. Mrs. Inglethorpe was lying on the bed, her whole form agitated by violent convulsions, in one of which she must have overturned the table beside her. As we entered, however, her limbs relaxed, and she fell back upon the pillows. John strode across the room and lit the gas. Turning to Annie, one of the housemaids, he sent her downstairs to the dining room for brandy. Then he went across to his mother, whilst I unbolted the door that gave on the corridor. I turned to Lawrence, to suggest that I had better leave them now that there was no further need of my services, but the words were frozen on my lips. Never have I seen such a ghastly look on any man's face. He was white as chalk. The candle he held in his hand was sputtering onto the carpet, and his eyes, petrified with terror or some such kindred emotion, stared fixedly over my head at a point on the further wall. It was as though he had seen something that turned him to stone. I instinctively followed the direction of his eyes, but I could see nothing unusual. The still feebly flickering ashes in the grate, and the row of prim ornaments on the mantelpiece was surely harmless enough. The violence of Mrs. Inglethorpe's attack seemed to be passing. She was able to speak in short gasps. Better now, very sudden, stupid of me to lock myself in. A shadow fell on the bed, and looking up, I saw Mary Cavendish standing near the door with her arm around Cynthia. She seemed to be supporting the girl, who looked utterly dazed and unlike herself. Her face was heavily flushed, and she yawned repeatedly. Uh, "'Poor Cynthia is quite frightened,' said Mrs Cavendish in a low, clear voice. She herself, I noticed, was dressed in her white land smock. "'Then it must be later than I thought.' I saw that a faint streak of daylight was showing through the curtains of the windows, and that the clock on the mantelpiece pointed to close upon five o'clock. A strangled cry from the bed startled me. A fresh access of pain seized the unfortunate old lady. The convulsions were of a violence terrible to behold. Everything was confusion. We thronged round her, powerless to help or alleviate. A final convulsion lifted her from the bed until she appeared to rest upon her head and her heels and her body arched in an extraordinary manner. In vain, Mary and John tried to administer more brandy. The moments flew. Again, the body arched itself in that peculiar fashion. At that moment, Dr. Bowerstein pushed his way authoritatively into the room. For one instant he stopped dead, staring at the figure on the bed, and at the same instant Mrs. Inglethorpe cried out in a strangled voice, her eyes fixed on the doctor. Uh, Alfred! Alfred! Then she fell back, motionless, on the pillows. With a stride the doctor reached the bed 
and seizing her arms, worked them energetically, applying what I knew to be artificial respiration. He issued a few short, sharp orders to the servants. An imperious wave of his hand drove us all to the door. We watched him, fascinated, though I think we all knew in our hearts that it was too late, and that nothing could be done now. I could see by the expression on his face that he himself had little hope. Finally, he abandoned his task, shaking his head gravely. At that moment, we heard footsteps outside, and Dr. Wilkins, Mrs. Inglethorpe's own doctor, a portly, fussy little man, came bustling in. In a few words, Dr. Bowerstein explained how he had happened to be passing the lodge gates as the car came out, and had run up to the house as fast as he could, whilst the car went on to fetch Dr. Wilkins. With a faint gesture of the hand, he indicated the figure on the bed. And then Dr. Wilkins uh, says something. Just before we do the voice, this is a lot more graphic than I thought it was going to be. I honestly Died thought... ever. But, but I mean, just but even just in the description, I was expecting them all to just wake up the next morning and find her dead. Not like, watch it happen. Yeah, they literally That's all watched really her sinister. Convulse. It's horrible. And the chances are the killer just watched it as well, being like, yeah. oh, terrible. Yeah. Who had Ooh. Mrs. Inglethorpe in the bedroom? I had Mrs. Poison. Inglethorpe in the bedroom with poison. poison. I think you had Mrs. Inglethorpe in... The boudoir that with poison, boudoir, didn't you? Count. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I had her in the bedroom. But then I did go first, so I felt like I had the easier thing because you guys didn't seem oh, to want to say the same I changed, thing. I well. changed my method to uh, like natural poison. Natural poison, so I'm still in the race. Yeah. Yeah, so you're still in the race of that. I think we all said Mrs. Inglethorpe in terms of dying, so we all got a point there. Pretty, um, I was, I was, I was kind of hoping it, it was not going to be like the first misdirect, but yeah, in a way, something's got to be obvious because it's like okay, but that's you know, and it's, I, it, you always get the impression it does like clue like this is like the very first thing that Cluedo was based on because it's so mm. like with it with the map and stuff. It really so, is, yeah. So the thing is, to play it now. <laughs> it's just because Mrs. Inglethorpe was almost the obvious answer because she was the one with the money. Yeah. It was kind of the only motive that seemed to present itself in the first two chapters. So, Doctor, what's his name? Dr. Hi, Wilkins. everybody. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, <laughs> a suggestion <laughs> there. I think just to juxtapose the real seriousness of this scene, it'd be really fun yeah. to have someone walk in and be really cheery. <laughs> <laughs> can if oh, if he says hi, I'm Doctor Wilkins. Matt, can we go hi, Doctor Wilkins? <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't, then that's fine. He, he doesn't. I'm gonna completely contravene the. Uh, the way in which Christy tells me he speaks because it doesn't work. <laughs> Does it say solemnly? Agatha, Agatha, love you, love you, babe. We know, love you, babe. We're just gonna change. <laughs> Could I just say though, from a from a a comedy point of view, we found this with Animal Farm. The more serious that Kermit tried to be, the funnier it was. So it almost like the f- it didn't take it away. Have... It didn't like no. Squealy was still like menacing yeah but it's like yeah it, it really works but this is what i mean like so even even though it, it might say solemnly or seriously or something like that that voice trying to be serious is still hilarious okay yeah well that's what i'll try and do <laughs> <laughs> amazing
Very sad. <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> Murmured Dr. Wilkins. Murmured. Murmured. <laughs> I can't do a Dr. Mick Nick murmuring. He doesn't do that, okay? No, everything's kind of at one volume. Like his minimum volume is like eight, and his maximum yeah. volume is like 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Difficult to live with, like Brian Blessed, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Dear Poor lady. <laughs> Always did far too much. Far too much. Against my advice, I warned her. Her heart was far from strong. Take it easy, I said to her. Take it easy. But no, her zeal for good works was too great. Nature rebelled. Nature Rebelled. Do heart attacks cause convulsions? I don't think they do. Like everyone's literally seen her like having a full-on fit, like heels so and head putting her back, back, arching her back. Yeah. I don't think heart attacks make you do that. That's clearly something else. He's not a very good doctor. Heart attacks they you just tense, don't they? Yeah, like, and you normally get pain all down one side, like in your arm. Well, I mean, it's good that we cast Dr. Nick, because Dr. Nick's a terrible doctor as well. So there you go. This doctor's awful. Dr. Nick's awful. It fits. Dr. Bowerstein, I noticed, was watching the local doctor narrowly. He still kept his eyes fixed on him as he spoke. The convulsions were of a particular violence, Dr. Wilkins. I'm sorry that you were not here in time to witness them. They were quite titanic in character. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Only people watching get the full effect of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very Muppet, wasn't it? That it was great. Yeah, just the, the pontification with the finger. Yes, That's I had an idea. Great word. <laughs> ah! <laughs> said Dr. Wilkins wisely. I should like to speak to you in private, said Dr. Barstein. He turned to John. You do not object? Certainly not. We all trooped out into the corridor, leaving the two doctors alone, and I heard the key turn in the lock behind us. We went slowly down the stairs. I was violently excited. I have a certain talent for deduction, and Dr. Bowerstein's manner had started a flock of wild surmises in my mind. Mary Cavendish laid her hand upon my arm. What is it? Why did Dr. Bowerstein seem so peculiar? I looked at her. Do you know what I think? What? Listen. I looked round. The others were out of earshot. I lowered my voice to a whisper. I believe she has been poisoned. I'm <gasps> certain Dr. Bowerstein suspects it. What? She shrank against the wall, the pupils of her eyes dilating wildly. Then, with a sudden cry that startled me, she cried out, No! No! Not that! Not that! <laughs> I'm really enjoying just the picture of her saying that while rolling around the wall for support. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Unnecessarily. <laughs> yeah. 
It's uh, like that in the play that goes wrong where that lady's like, oh, I'm getting hysterical. Like that kind of like, oh, because oh, women are yeah. so like feeble minded and soft bodied yeah, that they can't the handle character. drama. And so yeah. they like have to faint or fall on the floor. Oh, dear. Misogyny. <laughs> and breaking from me, she fled upstairs. I followed her, afraid that she was going to faint. I found her leaning against the banisters deadly pale. She waved me away impatiently. No, no, leave me. <laughs> I'd rather be alone. Let me just be quiet for a minute or two. Go down to the others. And the Oscar goes to <laughs> Josh as Mrs. Cavendish. Okay. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I obeyed her reluctantly. John and Lawrence were in the dining room. I joined them. We were all silent, but I supposed I voiced the thoughts of us all when I at last broke it by saying, Where is Mr. Inglethorpe? John shook his head. He's not in the house. Our eyes met. Where was Alfred Inglethorpe? His absence was strange and inexplicable. I remembered Mrs. Inglethorpe's dying words. What lay beneath them? What more could she have told us if she had had time? At last we heard the doctors descending the stairs. Dr. Wilkins was looking important and excited, and trying to conceal an inward exultation under a manner of decorous calm. Dr. Bowerstein remained in the background his grave, bearded face unchanged. Dr. Wilkins was the spokesman for the two. He addressed himself to John. Mr. Cavendish, I should like your consent to a post-mortem. <laughs> no I love that cheerful. I like that. I know. <laughs> it was the upward thrust of like post-mortem. Yeah, <laughs> Go yeah. team. <laughs> is that necessary asked john gravely a spasm of pain crossed his face absolutely said dr bowerstein you mean by that neither dr wilkins nor myself could give a death certificate under the circumstances john bent his head in that case i have no alternative but to agree Thank you, said Dr. Wilkins briskly. We propose that it should take place tomorrow night, or rather tonight. And he glanced at the daylight. Under the circumstances, I'm afraid an inquest can hardly be avoided. These formalities are necessary, but I beg that you won't distress yourselves. There was a pause, and then Dr. Bowerstein drew two keys from his pocket and handed them to John. These are the keys of the two rooms. I have locked them, and in my opinion, they would be better kept locked for the present. The doctors then departed. I had been turning over an idea in my head, and I felt that the moment had come now to broach it. Yet I was a little chary of doing so. John, I knew, had a horror of any kind of publicity and was an easy-going optimist who preferred never to meet trouble halfway. 
It might be difficult to convince him of the soundness of my plan. Lawrence, on the other hand, being less conventional and having more imagination, I felt I might count upon as an ally. There was no doubt that the moment had come for me to take the lead. John, I said, I'm going to ask you something. Well? You remember my speaking of my friend Poirot, the Belgian who is here? He has been a most famous detective. Yes? I want you to let me call him in, to investigate this matter. What now? Before the post-mortem? Yes, time is an advantage if... if there has been foul play. Rubbish! cried Lawrence angrily. In my opinion, the whole thing is a, is a mare's nest of Bowersteins. Wilkins hadn't an idea of such a thing until Bowerstein put it into his head. But, like all specialists, Bowerstein's got a bee in his bonnet. Poisons are his hobby, so of course he sees them everywhere. I confess that I was surprised by Lawrence's attitude. He was so seldom vehement about anything. John hesitated. I can't feel as you do, Lawrence, he said at last. I'm inclined to give Hastings a free hand, though I should prefer to wait a bit. We don't want any unnecessary scandal. No, no, I cried eagerly. You need have no fear of that. Poirot is discretion itself. Very well, then, have it your way. I'll leave it in your hands. Though if it is, as we suspect, it seems a clear enough case. God forgive me if I'm wrong in him. I looked at my watch. It was six o'clock. I determined to lose no time. Five minutes delay, however, I allowed myself. I spent it in ransacking the library until I discovered a medical book which gave a description of strychnine poisoning. End of chapter. Oh, he's going to find out about it. So Mrs. Inglethorpe is no more, which is a shame because I really enjoyed her voice. Yeah, I, I never get to do that again. No, unless her ghost comes back and points suspect. But I oh, don't. Be even more warbly. <gasps> you would. <laughs> I don't. Christie. She doesn't go down like she's not like H.G. Wells in this sort of flirting paranormal. No, no, it's true. It's true. It's very literal, but that's kind of what makes it good as well because it's meant to be the case that all of the murders seem really like impossible but they then end up having a very logical obvious physical answer that kind of makes you go oh yeah how did i not see that or whatever so i mean you've got a few kind of things where they're trying to flag up so we've got alfred missing from the house so that's kind of suspicious because they're wondering why has he killed her and gone and then we've got lawrence saying oh is a post-mortem necessary i don't think it's poison it's just bowerstein thinking it's poison because he's an expert in poison so there's a maybe a little bit of deflection there and then obviously like mrs cavendish's response to the murder was quite dramatic and quite over the top but is that her trying to pretend like, oh, I'm missing? Because the, the amount of times you see murderers in real life, you know, because often they're 
psychopaths so they have no empathy and they think they're smarter than everybody believing that they're fooling everybody with their amazing acting at like oh look how good i am at pretending to be innocent and they're actually really bad at it um so it could be the case of that as well so anyone want to change their suspects at the end of that i'm still sticking with lawrence i think lawrence is guilty i'm pretty happy with mrs cavendish her reaction yeah. was in drama of the drama week central. You know what i mean what about you josh with cynthia because she seems to be keeping quite a low profile but that could also be a tactic where she's like oh i slept through the whole thing and i have an adjoining room as well yeah I'm not underconfident because, yeah, one, the adjoining room, they had to check that that door was locked as well. Mm-hmm. Two, there was this whole, they couldn't wake her up and then she was all yawny. So maybe, yeah. like, she's oh, put oh, something oh, in oh. place to make, like, maybe, like, I'm thinking, I'm just going down theory theory territory here. Maybe she did it and then wanted to make sure she wasn't caught. So she then gave herself a sleeping draft. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, Sleep well, it appeal. couldn't have been me because I was, I was sound Pumped asleep, out. you know, you yeah. know, couldn't, no, couldn't be woken. True. Yeah normally when you wake up in a high dramatic situation like that your adrenaline kicks in and it wakes you up very quickly do you mean the sight of like someone you know and love like you know convulsing on a bed i reckon would probably pull you out of a stupor pretty quick yeah it's good as any alarm clock yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so there's definitely grounds for all three I hate Mondays. <laughs> I'm gonna have someone die in my guest room every week to get me out of bed. <laughs> Adrenaline junkie alarm clock, amazing. <laughs> so everyone's sticking with their suspects. Everyone's well, there's happy definitely with their grounds suspects. for all. There's truth in all yeah. three theories at the moment. I thought for two yeah. seconds, I thought, oh, John's not very keen on doing the post mortem, but I thought, a, that's too obvious, and then b, straight after that, he was like, oh yeah, fine then. Um, yeah, I think he seemed to be more kind of like, is it necessary? Because he's obviously going like, well, she was an old lady and she just died. And it's obviously like, uh, maybe also Lawrence being a doctor, he maybe he had already put the pieces together as well in terms of where Bowerstein's brain was going. And John not being a doctor probably just thought it was natural causes up till that point. Yeah. I think Bowerstein's definitely shifty though. Why? Why was he there? It is a bit weird yeah. that he was there. I do I do think Please. there needs to be a better reason for him to have just been walking past. I reckon he was in Mrs. Cavendish's room. The other thing I thought, and this is a bit out there in terms of, you know, potential uh, fan theories here. Bowerstein has a beard, right? And then when Bowerstein ran into the room in quite a panic, almost as if, you know, someone who he loved and cared about was in trouble. What did she do? She looked at him and she said, Alfred, Alfred. Oh. Do you think she's gone confused and she's just seen a beard and she, and thinks, she thinks he's Alfred? Or yeah, maybe he is Alfred. <laughs> I don't think he is Alfred. I don't the think, same person. No, he's not. I think she's seen, seen him in the same I, room. That could be that could be because they're hearing Alfred and that they're thinking it's incriminating. They're thinking Alfred did this. But if it's poison, she could have been giving it hours ago. I reckon that little token, that little golden nugget's there to make it seem more like Alfred's more guilty than he is. And chances are, if you are dying from poison, you might end up hallucinating and seeing a man leaning over you with a beard, you might be inclined to think it's somebody you know or somebody else. 
we do we analyze and overanalyze this stuff but the yeah. more guilty they make Al- alfred seem the less likely i think he did it so i'm like no mm-hmm. they're trying to put us off yeah put, i think uh, so. put him in the thing and it's not him yeah would this is this the thing is though like are we like like true crime or well, not true crime but who does who who has done this is this is quite a new genre at the time so are we going to be a disappointed in the sense that readers are as aware of yeah. like now we've seen so many that writers just have to be so flipping clever yeah um and is it gonna just be no it's not the most obvious demonstrative one but it is the other person you think and the and the reasons the alibis there's only so many stories there's only so many like stories about crime and murders that can happen you know that's why they start to introduce like the supernatural because it just brings another sort of dimension to it there's only so many murders in a house and so like that there's any murder weapons and where and what yeah um, there can be so this is this is one of the first is one of the first of agatha christie so um it might it might be obvious but that's that that would be why yeah Um, it's true i'm i'm kind of intrigued as to who raised the alarm because obviously if her room is is sandwiched between mr inglethorpe's and cynthia and mr inglethorpe's out and cynthia was dead to the world who raised the alarm? Was it Dorcas who just happened to be checking in on her, maybe? Or because Dorcas seemed to be there, being like, "Oh, she's locked herself in," and we can hear kind of stuff happen. But it was Lawrence who woke up Hastings and said, "Come on, come on, come on." Yeah. So maybe I don't know if Dorcas was checking on on her and then woke woke Lawrence, or I'm not sure. But that seems to be a bit of a question mark because it's not like anyone could have heard her through the wall. It must have been someone who was going into her room who raised the alarm. And also, there's the mystery of the door was bolted from the inside. Yeah, well, all three doors were bolted from the inside. So did did the, it was the window open? We didn't get reference to the window. Yeah, but. no, I think if the window was open, I think they probably would have said so because that would have made it really the obvious. Murderer is hiding under the bed, <laughs> <laughs> and will remain there until the end. Until Scooby yeah. did. What actually break. happened is, as everyone burst in, they just kind of commando rolled around and then picked <laughs> up. And went, I've just got here. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Trapped. What happened? Sorry. <laughs> Four in the morning. <laughs> if you have any tips or hints as to how the murderer got in and out you can email us on the lazy book club at gmail.com um, or if you want to draw a moustache on an egg and decide <laughs> what type of egg poirot is like josh is gonna do you can send that on twitter and our handle is at lazy book club pod or you could do it on instagram instagram's way better right at lazy book club pod we're also now on TikTok. I put a little kind of a few segments and some bonus footage that doesn't make it into the actual video up on there. So if you check us out on there at Lazy Book Club Pod, you can see us trying to be younger than we are. We are also on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Lazy Book Club Pod. Subscribe to our <laughs> Patreon like Ian has, then you will find an extra episode every month as well as early releases of each of these episodes and the video of these episodes as well. So you can see Josh in all his pointy thumbs up glory when he's playing Dr. Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of oh, hands action. It is a lot of hands action. I'm very handsy. But no, thank you very much for joining us this week for this Who Has Done This. And we will see you next week when hopefully Poirot makes an appearance and starts to make a few of these suspects squirm with some questioning. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye, Dr. Dr. Wilkins. Wilkins. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love an internet delay. <laughs>